Welcome to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Caravans, campervans, motorhomes and more. It's the place to get hints, tips and impartial advice from the expert himself, Matt Sims. Brought to you by thatleisureshop.com. Join us on the journey with Motorhome Matt. Welcome back to the Motorhome Matt podcast. I'm Keith Gooden. And I'm Motorhome Matt. He's the expert. I ask the stupid questions. And thanks for listening and watching. Uh, We're up to over 100,000 downloads now. And one of the most successful podcasts in the whole wide world. (laughs) Well, the world of motorhomes. The whole wide world, mate. Top 5% downloads. Top 2%, you know. It's not. Yeah, we are now. No. Yeah, we are. We're top 2% of podcasts globally in terms of performance and downloads. Yeah, and in terms of our industry, well, we're out there. He's out there. He's, he's like we're flying privileged. A, he's like flying a kite. He's up above the clouds. <laughs> on a string, on, yeah. a, on a thin cord. <laughs> it's all brought to you with thatleisureshop.com. Let's uh, start off with the news, shall we? Sponsorship. Yeah. <laughs> if you're listening and you would like to reach our audience, as Keith says, our audience is growing at a fantastic rate. If you'd like to reach them with your message of your brand, something that's relevant to us, on the Motorhome Matt podcast. We'd love to hear from you. You can find out more at motorhomemat.co.uk forward slash sponsor. It's actually not very expensive. You've got some hot news about the Euro Tunnel, or should I say? Oh, it's very exciting. They've rebranded. Legitle. as it's known now. <laughs> Is that your best French? I'm going to read you something, right? So Euro Tunnel have rebranded as Le Shuttle. And they they got, were always the shuttle. <laughs> I, I think this is great. So they've got a new logo, uh, and no doubt somebody somewhere charged them a lot of money for this. Yeah. And this is their uh, this is their explanation of the new brand. Elongated letter forms connect to show the user's movement through the two tunnels in their journey, and the connections in the logo communicate the ease and efficiency with which the shuttle operates, taking the user from A to B. There's no BS like marketing BS. <laughs> People who don't make anything and just talk a load of old... It's t- a train in a tunnel. It's a train in a tunnel. And what they've done is they've taken out the space between le and shuttle and they've made it le shuttle. And joined it up. Yeah. Very so it's clever. Like, it's like a train, le shuttle. Yeah, so we no longer get the Euro tunnel, we get le shuttle. Mm. <laughs> there you are. So if you're heading to France this year, yeah, then uh, send us a pic of you stood in front of the Le Shuttle logo and make us laugh. <laughs> they can call it what they like and they can do as many colourful pictures as they, they possibly can. But I didn't notice any change uh, when I uh, went on it a few months ago from the, the 10 years before which I, when I last travelled. That's because you had a bag on your head you are in the boot. <laughs> <laughs> and there was a lot of people with cross legs because there wasn't any toilets to use. Uh, so, so go before you get on. No, are the toilets on it now? Are they, are they, are they open again? I think, I, well, as I, I seem to recall toilets on there. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yeah, but, they were, but, yeah. But right, I think they shut them during the pandemic. There's a lot of people shuffling up and down and, <laughs> and, and looking for toilets. Go before you get on. It's only 35 minutes, the actual journey. Go in the terminal. Yeah, just go. They've got plenty of toilets as well when you're queuing up, waiting to, to, to be... So to get onto the car because you drive onto the carriages, that's the great thing. Yeah, you do. That's the clever bit. It is a clever train in a tunnel, I have to say, and it is fast. Say fantastique, as they say in France. Can we have the L O L O theme? <laughs> what was the theme to L O L O? Accordion. That'd be good on the way there. It was the accordion. Don't get your accordion again. I've told you about. Okay then, uh, let's uh, talk about that leisureshop.com, shall we? Your favourite product. I like the idea of this. Every week we should have Matt talking about his favourite product. What is it? It is a Bluetooth battery charger. 
I'm going to get Maddie to pass me one now. I'm going to show. I'm going to show. If you're watching on YouTube, you can see it. I love these. These are back in stock. This time of year, you get a car out or caravan out, motorhome out, and the battery's flat. Leisure battery or starter battery. These chargers, they're forty odd quid, and they are really, really good. They're from Maypole. This is an eight amp version. There is a four amp one as well. The best bit about this, it's Bluetooth, so you can stand next to your caravan or your motorhome or your car and actually monitor on your iPhone what it's doing. You can also buy a little intercept which stays on the battery is a Bluetooth transmitter that tells you what the battery's doing. So it's going flat. You think it's not going to start tomorrow. I need to go and plug it in and charge it. Really useful. Does it work with Android phones as well? Yeah. No, I'm an iPhone obsessed person. Yeah. <laughs> I get it. But this, this ATAM one is currently $41.99. Normally, something like this is hundreds of pounds. And they are very, very good. I've got one permanently connected to a motorbike that I don't ride. The battery thus would go flat. This keeps it in tip-top order. So what does it do? It charges it. It's a smart charger, so it brings the battery back up if mm-hmm. it's gone flat and, and can, then trickles into it. And you can monitor it on your phone. You can. It's very clever. Right. I think you can monitor up to 28 devices. Plug one into your ride-on mower, your golf buggy, <laughs> whatever other device you've got. needs a battery. I love them. I think they're really clever. Fantastic. And uh, very cheap. It is the Motorhome Matt podcast. I'm Keith Gooden. And I'm Motorhome Matt. Okay, let's get into the main bit of uh, today's uh, podcast. Uh, We're talking about uh, electric vehicle charging network, or the lack of it uh, at the moment. Uh, Now, it's all very well if you've got a a, a car and having to plug in. We're not doing it with motorhomes yet. So explain why we're doing this on the podcast then. Well, we've kind of run this series of episodes around the whole world of EV and the change that's coming. Uh, And if you rewind a few episodes, you'll see several topics around this, big picture topics, because that's where we are at the moment. Electric motorhomes are in reality, I think, 10 years away. But one of the big challenges that's being thrown around at the moment is how on earth are we going to recharge motorhomes or even cars towing a caravan on a campsite? Because they just don't have the power. That's very true. And this is a transition that we're on. So I thought it would be great to dive into this topic early doors because I still think we're 10 years away from having viable electric motorhomes or alternatively powered motorhomes that are non-fossil fuel or even hybrid. Uh, And so I thought I'd unpack and take the lid off this, this little can of worms. It's not easy to find chargers. I've seen all differing uh, sorts uh, of uh, uh, figures around all this. I'm not going to quote any of you at the moment. You're going to hear some a little bit later on. Let's hear Paul's story. He, he was at the NEC show, wasn't he? And he was trying to charge his vehicle. Yeah, Paul drives an electric car. Uh, and Paul is actually the man that makes the orange bags that we give away on the motorhome mat stand. So if you've seen us at any of the NEC shows, thousands of you were coming and grabbing a free orange bag with the motorhome mat podcast and that leisure shop brand on and paul is the man that makes them you drive an electric car and it needed some charge so just tell me what happened well a total disaster went to charge the car plug it in and then you've got to register an account and then it'll activate it didn't activate so i thought well 31 percent left let's go back to bristol go down the m5 get to strength and services no charges at all 5% 5% left in the car. So this, you are going from Birmingham back to Bristol, and there's no charges at all at Strangham? Absolutely nothing. Googled it, and it said there were some on the northbound. So I had to go down to the roundabout, back to the northbound, 1% left, charge the car, then go up the M5, then back to Bristol. <laughs> so how long did the trip take then? I got home at uh, half past 11. At night? 
Yep, at night. And I left the show at about 5.30. <laughs> it was an hour and a half, two hours at most. Yep, an hour and a half should be, yeah. So other than that, what's your experience of driving around in your electric car? Love it. Love it, love it. Instant speed, no fuel bill. Obviously, I <coughs> charge it at work, so there's no cost involved with that. But speed-wise, comfort, uh, servicing costs, running costs, can't, can't beat it. But there's a big flaw, isn't there? Yep, the charging. No two places are the same. I've got 10 apps on my phone just for different charges for different services. What a nightmare. Would you buy another one? Oh, yeah, definitely. That's the future. Interesting comment, isn't it, that he's having a nightmare with charging, the basis of using an EV, yet he wouldn't even hesitate to buy another one. No, and and this thing as well, you know, I can charge at work and that doesn't cost me anything. This idea that people can charge their cars for nothing, somebody's got to pay for it. Well, his business is paying for it, and that's the reality. Ah. <laughs> Paul installed a load of chargers in his office, right. uh, and uh, so he and his staff get free charging. Okay, then, and it's like this whole thing of pensioners driving to 15 miles to, to go to a petrol station to save 5p on a, a, a litre of fuel, and they don't work out <laughs> that they're not making a, a saving. But you know, if he's driving around to find a charging point, this is a big problem. Yeah, and, and like I always say, what, what's wrong with you know just putting some chargers in the street, uh, you know, off uh, streetlights and some such stuff? Yeah, well, that's possible. I mean, streetlight cabling is very light, it's very thin. That I'm sure will become the future. I think we're even going to see pavement technology evolve uh, to take cabling. They'll have cable trunks buried in the pavements. But there's two sides to this, isn't there? The EV world and the charging networks are growing at a heck of a rate. I mean, there are more chargers around than there are fuel stations at the moment. In fact, we've got some statistics. I'll, I'll give you them in a moment. But the reality is lots of them are broken. In our local Tesco, I was there the other day, there are two chargers both not working. Blank screen with a, someone had stuck a bit of paper on saying not working. What goes wrong with them? Uh, they're, well, they're constantly updating. They've either be vandalised, so there's a software issue. There could be a hardware issue. And everybody's talking about the comparison between electric vehicles and petrol. You, you came up with a, a good little uh, way of, of comparing them, didn't you? <laughs> yeah, imagine two phones. So I'm iPhone obsessed, so I'm going to say iPhone, but Android. So one option is a phone that the battery lasts possibly a full day, but you might have to charge it once or twice during the day and overnight, but you'll charge it for next to nothing, very conveniently at home. The other is the battery will last a week, but you're going to have to drive five or ten miles and pay £50 to recharge it. Which would you go for? The first one. <laughs> the f absolutely right answer. Well done. Someone ring a bell. But you would, you'd go for the convenience, wouldn't you? It, you're charging more often, and this is the difference between adopting an EV car and a fossil fuel car, which we're so used to driving. Once a week, we fill up, we drive somewhere, pay 50, 60 pounds, well, these days, 100 pounds, refuel the car and do it. Don't think about it again for another week. With an electric car, you're charging at home every night, you're arriving somewhere for a coffee, you plug in and get another 10 or 20 miles of recharge. That's the difference. And this is something that Paul, who we've just heard from, has adopted, but his frustration comes when the chargers are broken. And this is an issue that's really real. So here's some of that data we were talking about earlier. Uh, data from ZapMap, uh, which gives you, uh, it's an app, charging locations. That's right, EV charging yeah, points yeah. all over the country. Electricity yeah. Zap, where they are, map. There you go. Uh, 22nd of May, there are 8,471 charging locations across the UK, and they host a total of 13,613 charging devices. There's fewer than two at each place. Well, some there? are single points. So these are public 
uh, charging locations, single chargers. Um, near us at the farm shop, two have just been installed. So that's one location with two charging devices. But they then say, in contrast, as at the end of April, there are currently only 8,400 petrol stations in the UK, a figure which is continuing to decline. But what yeah. they don't say is that there's between six and eight pumps in each station. <laughs> that's true. And, of course, at a fuel pump, that's more people in the fuel station, and they're only there for five minutes at most, unless they go off and do their shop. That's you, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. Fill your fuel and then go and do your week shop. <laughs> but you annoy me. <laughs> you see them come back to the car with four carrier bags. Oh, and then so take annoying. ages pulling away. Oh, oh nightmare. What, what do people do? And stall it on the way out too. Yeah, yeah, that's right. But yeah, what's interesting is there are more charging locations than there are fuel stations. Okay, ignoring the point of how many actual charges there are, because they could be scaled up. But interestingly, fuel stations are declining in number. I think this is 2% less than last year. So fuel stations are closing. And, of course, the viability commercially of fuel is really low. I mean, the, the profit in fuel is tiny, which is why an increasing amount of fuel stations have become supermarkets, hairdressers, coffee shops, you know, all these facilities, Subway, Costa Coffee are dropping their little franchise businesses into all these fuel stations just because there's no money in the fuel itself. That's surely going to continue. Well, we'll see what happens. But one thing's for certain, uh, there's a lot of people with electric cars and they want to charge them and it's not so easy, particularly as some of the figures that are being given by manufacturers. Uh, they'll say that, you know, you can have a range of 300 miles, but actually in practice, it doesn't turn out to be that because you drive in a different way. Or as you've said in previous podcasts, it could be the middle of winter and electricity doesn't flow as efficiently when it's cold. Yeah, that's right. Of course, motorhomes are the absolute worst end of this stick, to put it politely, because we want to drive a long way in our motorhome or camper van and we, we are heavy. So we're fully loaded with the family and a week's worth of food and drink and all our clothes. So for an EV, that's a nightmare. Uh, and this is something that is changing and it will change. But I think it's 10 years away. But nonetheless, I'm keen that we still have a voice to the EV charging world, which is why we invited Simon in. So Simon Hayslow's head of marketing at Hydra EVC. They make the chargers. I actually met Simon 10 years ago. I think we were in Slovenia at a motorhome trade launch. It was an Adria motorhome trade launch. And we were sat on the minibus together. He was editor of MMM. And I think he was writing for What Motorhome at the time. Uh, so he comes from our world 10 years ago from a journalistic point of view. So he understands the nuances of, of motorhoming and caravanning. And now he's in the EV charger world. And I wanted to just talk to him a little bit about this future we're on and the journey that we're on of implementing these EV chargers. Can you tell us a little bit more about Hydra and who they are and what their vision is? Hydra EBC is a fairly new company, been around about 18 months. Our parent company, we have been supplying electrical metering and electrical products for quite some number of years. We realised that a lot of the components we were supplying were being used in uh, EV charge points for some of the multinational companies and we thought if we're supplying to them we could put them in our own products. Yep. It's it's a rapidly uh, growing business as um, everyone seems to know and yes about 18 months ago we launched a, a range of EV charge points. We don't uh, supply to the general public but we do supply to specialist installers and we have some specialist companies that buy our equipment everything from domestic right up to um, you know the, the rapid charges that you see on 
fall courts and motorway services and things like that. And it's important to note you make the charges, you don't actually install them, you just make and supply them, don't you? Other folk who install them. That's correct, yes, yeah. We do have approved installers that uh, that we favour for some uh, installations, but generally we uh, just supply the, the products. We work with a couple of companies that project manage the, the larger products, so if they put in, in 6, 10, 12 charges in a location, uh, we work closely with them. Um, but mostly we uh, provide the equipment and, and the know-how to, to get it all installed. And as you say, Hydra is a fairly new company. And as we record this, it's early summer 2023. There's a lot of fear of the unknown with electric charge points. And, yes. Yeah. Uh, where are we with the numbers of charges in the UK and are we on track? It depends whose figures you uh, rely on and whose figures you trust. I think we've recently surpassed one million electric vehicles on the road uh, in the UK alone. The number of charge points is growing exponentially. I know from the the number we supply continually that it is continuing to increase. They may not be hugely visible because a lot of the charge points are not like putting up a big petrol forecourt. They don't look any more in, intrusive than like a parking uh, meter or something right. like that in workplace and hotels and leisure centres, things like that. So people might not know they're there, but um, they are increasing quite rapidly. It's still going to be a challenge to hit the, the deadlines that the government has set for us, the 2030 cutoff and the numbers of uh, charge points that experts in the industry think we need. But it, it is happening. It is it's quite in, encouraging, the take-up. So you say it's going to be challenging, but are we on track? Just about. Again, <laughs> I, I put the proviso in there. It depends whose statistics you, you refer to. Okay. Yes. The challenges around charging a vehicle, there's a plethora of them. Mm. <laughs> and we could talk for hours. We're not going to do yeah. that today. <laughs> we might get you back in to talk about some other topics around this particular challenge that we're facing. But specifically, I want to focus on the reality of charging an electric motorhome or even electric car towing a caravan. Now, electric motorhomes, we know, are a decade away. We've been unpacking this on previous episodes. They're coming, but we're not ready. Cars that can tow caravans that are pure EV uh, or even plug-in hybrid exist. They're real. Yeah. But charge points are just not being designed for someone towing a caravan or even someone driving a motorhome, are they? That's right. What's happening about that? And what can we do to influence the change that I see as necessary to embrace us as motorhomers or caravan drivers? I think one of the issues has been up until this point is people have, um, companies have been putting charge points in in a car park environment. So they're seeing, like your supermarket car park, it's quite easy to put a charge point in so people can charge while they're, while they're shopping. That's no good if you're towing a caravan or you're driving an eight and a half metre motorhome. You need a bigger space. There are companies like GridServe, for instance, that are, building bigger forecourts that are designed drive-in, drive-out, like a petrol forecourt would mm -hmm. be. And they would have this more space to manoeuvre a bigger vehicle. You may be faced with, you might take up two spaces, so you, um, you're going to have to wait until there are two spaces available because it, physically just your motorhome is going to be bigger. But that's not unlike you know uh, trying to get into a normal petrol forecourt that mm. you are now uh, there's a grid serve location near oh, let us me, let me Sorry. just interrupt if i may on a fuel station that's a few minutes of inconvenience that's right charging yeah. a car you're sat there for an hour 
Yes, yeah. that's a <laughs> that's a lot of frustration for the person behind you yeah, that's sure. waiting to charge because there's a caravan in the way. I think that's always going to be an issue, and I think the whole uh, EV charging will require a general change in behaviour for the entire population. At the moment, now we go and fill up with petrol or diesel once a week, once a fortnight, and then you don't have to think about it again for another couple of weeks. We will get to a point where, just like I think you mentioned on a previous podcast, you plug in your phone as soon as you see a plug point. So you're not thinking about, I need to fully charge it and then don't do it again till tomorrow. If there's a cable, you'll plug it in. And the EV use will be the same. You'll just plug it in for 20 minutes when you go shopping, plug it in while you're at work, or if you're out at the cinema at night, you'll plug it in again for another couple of hours. And we'll just be constantly trickle charging, topping up as we go. So you might need the hour to get from 20% battery up to 80% battery on a you know, the sprinter-sized van or something like that. But if you stop two or three times on a journey, you might only stop for 20 or 30 minutes. It's enough to go to the toilet, get a cup of tea and things like that, and then you go again. Some of the um, apps that you can download for finding uh, charge points, you can specify how many times you want to stop on a journey or how long you're prepared to stop, and it will work out a route for you. So you only have to stop 20 or 30 minutes each one. So it's not an issue of you need to fully charge before you can move on. You you just stop more regularly. That's what it, we're all going to have to do, unfortunately. It, it's a big behaviour change oh, yes, that's coming out, as yeah. well as a mindset change. Mm. Uh, and I think that's the challenge, is change on every level. Oh, definitely. One of the big concerns, and we get lots of questions about this, and I've mentioned it before, is about the capability of the grid. There's just not enough power in the grid. Now, we've had interviews with people and conversations with people where I know that's not true. That's a pub myth. Yeah. What about getting that power to campsites so your charging systems can work. What are the challenges there? Well, I think you're, you're correct about the national grid. They, the national grid themselves gave a, a figure of, uh, in 2002, the national grid was providing 16% more power than it does today. And if we converted every vehicle on the road to an electric vehicle, it would only push the draw on the national grid up by 10%. So we wouldn't even be going back to what the national grid was capable of 20 years ago. There is the scope within the national grid, but that's on the whole, that's on a UK level. It's on the local level that it becomes problematic because you might have a campsite or um, a destination that's a little bit out of the way and the, the cable feeding that campsite just might not be up to it. It might be enough to provide, you know, a dozen electric hookups and things like that. But once you start putting in even a, a seven kilowatt charger, which is kind of the minimum for a domestic charger, and a seven kilowatt, you'd plug your char your car in overnight, so it would take between five and eight hours to charge your car. Even on a seven kilowatt one, a, a campsite might not be able to have ten or twenty of those plugged in because that's most of them are on sixteen amp supplies, which you're limited to three and a half kilowatt. So sorry, it's a lot of maths. Yeah, <laughs> um, numbers. So yeah, so these the destinations and the campsites are faced with upgrading their power supply, and some have been frightened off by their their local power grid company quoting forty, fifty, sixty thousand. Well, I was talking to someone who was telling me exactly this, that yeah. someone had a wedding venue and they wanted to build accommodation on it. So they wanted to put, I think it was half a dozen static homes 
on this site mm. so they could accommodate guests and they had to run cable in so they could be powered this wasn't EV charging this was just power to the static caravans yeah. 45,000 pounds later they had a trench and a cable run whilst this was going on the spec of those statics was upgraded and they started including underfloor heating and extra lighting and so on the cable was no longer strong enough yeah. So a second £45,000, the trench was dug again, another cable run. They're 90 grand in to get these static homes working. Yeah. The return on that investment is, is, is suddenly doubled. Yes. Yeah. Uh, now, as a wedding venue, you know, they could probably leverage that and scale to accommodate that. But if you're a campsite charging 15 or £30 a night... A campsite's going to have to start charging 100 200 pounds a night for us to go there. I mean, it's yeah. just not going to happen, is it? It's a long-term financial commitment that the, uh, the site owners have, have faced with, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. Uh, one of the good things that's only recently come about in April, Ofgem have capped the fees that the national grid or the each individual it, the national grid is split into different companies around the country. Uh, they've capped the costs that they can charge people for upgrading their power supply it's not just for ev charging but it's to cope with other power usage as well so now that has been capped at uh, 1720 pounds per kva right so if people have been charged or quoted 50 60 70 thousand pounds to put a substation in to facilitate even just putting uh, hookups in never mind the ev charge points the cost that has now been capped by off gem so it's worth if people have had quotes in the past. It's worth them getting getting it requoted. So that fifty thousand pound might down, now be twelve, fifteen thousand. And that's been one of the challenges for you as a business, isn't it? In your mm. first eighteen months, is that you were said you were telling me earlier, you've put proposals out there for millions, millions. of pounds. Oh yes, definitely. And they fall over as soon as the venue, the host, yeah. discovers the cost just to run the power yeah. in order to buy your charge. Oh, definitely. We can supply a public charge point with. Uh, contactless payment and it, it dual output so it can do two cars or two vehicles at once the cost of that might be two to three thousand pounds depending on what it is but if the landlord or the uh, person having it installed has got to pay 30 40 50 thousand pounds just to upgrade their supply it, it's a no-go because it's too expensive it's, yeah the charge point itself is that's the cheap part <laughs> it's yeah it's just getting that that power into it the the grid can cope but it's just delivering it from the backbone of the national grid into where it's where it's required. There's a lot of challenges, aren't there? Definitely. We were talking earlier about payment, and mm. you mentioned apps that yes, you can yeah. use that will plan your route. But interestingly, the government are intervening on this, aren't they, on, on how the payment of yes. charging is working. Yeah. Can you tell me a bit more? What has happened up until now, a, a number of the bigger companies like uh, BP and uh, some of the other well-known brands, they've got into EV charging. And they like to have people's details. So they have facilitated you using their charge points by use of an app, just like you use a reward card if you go to Sainsbury's or something like that. But the downside of that is you might have five or six different suppliers, so you need five or six different apps. And that's literally just to switch the charge point on yeah. to charge your car. The government has realized this is frustrating the public what they want them to be able to do is just like you go in a petrol station you can just pay with your debit card or you pay on your phone with apple pay or google pay and things like that so there is legislation on the way and we've also already seen an uptake in our, just in our business almost all the public charge points we now supply have a contactless payment terminal on you can still run it from an app if you want to but people don't want to be 
fidgeting around with their phones. They just want to no. plug in, tap, and go. We, we need to make it as trouble-free, as hassle-free for the end user as Well, as parking we your car these days, I mean, it's sod's law, isn't it? You just park in that car park, which has the app you don't have. Yeah. <laughs> and right. then you spend 10 minutes standing there trying to download the oh, app yes, just so you can pay to park. Yeah. yeah. I have to say, it's been tempting for me just to pay the fine. Because I can't, you know, it, does, it takes ages. Yeah. And it's complicated getting your name and address set up. Then you've got to enter the car details. It's an absolute headache. So I don't drive an EV, but I can imagine that must be really frustrating and a high barrier mm. for anyone looking to adopt an EV. When is this government intervention happening? They've not announced that it's going to be mandatory yet, but they have said it will be at some point. And it, it is being very strongly encouraged at this point right. that it needs to be made more convenient for the end user. I think what they're hinting at, if we as an EV industry don't make it more convenient, then the, the legislation will, will Which surely will happen. you as an industry will oh, yes. make it as easy as possible, oh, otherwise definitely. people won't buy your products. Oh, yes. The, the, the best thing for us is that people use our chargers and they use our forecourts that we've got our chargers in. So we're so, trying to make it as easy as possible. Simon, can you tell me a little bit more about the challenges that you are facing as Hydra EVC? What challenges do you have around planning? Is there resistance from local councils to hosting a charge point, or is it dead easy? Uh, there are some restrictions. It, it has become easier. There are no specifics for putting an EV charge point in to a car park, for instance, or a, a shopping car park. There's nothing that specifically covers that that isn't part of normal planning. But there are some simple rules that, that for accessibility, a charge point has to be between 1.2 and 1.4 metres off the ground so people can stand up or sit from a wheelchair and, and lift it off. But as far as that goes, there's not many restrictions, as it were, other than your normal planning process. And as you know, any business owner will know, planning processes problematic at times <laughs> so if you do need to do more groundworks to get power in or to upgrade things sometimes it can be a little frustrating yeah it, we're hardly ever faced with a problem that can't be uh, overcome but sometimes it does it lengthens a project some projects are, are easy that can be started and completed within a month others take we've got some that you know we started talking to customers middle of last year and now we're into the middle of this year and we're still talking. We're still right. overcoming, you know, little um, details here and there just to to get it all completed. And for someone listening to this that has a small business or they have a venue which could host EV charging, so we here as a small business have discussed it that we're right on the edge of the M5 here, and we're, we have a shop. So we have a place that someone could come and shop for 45 minutes while their car is charging, and we've discussed putting charge points here it would be convenient in terms of our location is it as simple as we just ring you up and say can we order some charge points and we've got the power is is it straightforward it, it can be as straightforward as that as, as long as you've got the necessary power to site yeah um, it's just a matter of finding a the local installation specialist in your area they will come obviously need to do a site survey but they can hook them up fairly quickly it's simplifying it a little bit but the charge points are essentially a, an external power point they've got a lot of technology built into them for the communications and payment process and that but it's just an external electrical socket um, so they they're going to need to run a cable back to the main consumer unit but apart from that because they've all got communications built in all the configuration is done um, can be done online or 
you know, from the office or from our office. Like I mentioned earlier about the grant process that the government is doing, they are promoting grants for charge points for public use. So say you here, if you put three charge points in, the government will give you, depending on whether you want them just for your customers or for public use, there are, there are different tiers. The government never makes these things easy. But they, they will give you, subsidise the cost of that. It can be as much as £750 per charge point. There are other schemes that they will also cover some of the installation cost as well. And I think that I think it's capped at around fifteen or 16000 depending on um, your installation and, and your use. So if you wanted to put some charge points in for public use, the government are, are there to help. They don't often shout about these things, no. <laughs> but there is grant money there. So it's worth speaking to your charge point supplier or your local electrician if they are OZEV registered that's the, the government acronym the Office for Zero Emission Vehicles if they're OZEV registered then they should know about which grants are available to you so if you know they quote £10,000 you might be able to get a third or half of that back from the government depending on your installation So I'm just going back to the point I made earlier about charge points being appropriate for leisure vehicle users having the length to park in if you're a motorhome or the ability to park up and charge your car that's towing a caravan in fact any vehicle to be honest what can we do as an industry to make sure that we're heard by your industry and that this challenge or perceived challenge certainly by me and I know many of our listeners is acknowledged what can we do I think you've just got to be very very vocal one of the issues that we've faced say a hotel for instance they're thinking of putting five, six charge points in. And there's a cost involved. And then they say, oh, there's just not the demand for it. There's not the demand for it because people haven't asked for it. So the more you ask for it, the more you say to campsite owners or recharge stations, we need this size parking bay. We need the facility to be able to drive a caravan in or an eight and a half metre motorhome or whatever. You've just got to be vocal. And the more it gets recognised that that is an issue, then they will respond to it. At the moment, towing the caravans part hasn't really been addressed because EVs, a lot of EVs, have a very low towing weight. Yes. So some of them might be list, um, limited to like 750 kilograms. There's not many decent caravans but, at that but weight. But they do exist. But they are. it is coming up. A lot yeah. of the EVs now are coming, being designed with much better towing weights. Yeah. So you will be able to get 1,200, 1,500 kilogram caravans. So the more that people are buying the EVs to tow the larger caravans, the more demand there will be. But they've also got to start shouting about it, really, yeah. and saying, we need this charging charging facility. Yeah. Well, there's been no shouting today, but no. hopefully <laughs> <laughs> we've been able to raise our little flag to you yeah. as someone within that EV charging space. And I'm very grateful to you for coming down. It's, I know it's been a yeah, long trip you. today, and you braved the M25 <laughs> and the whole length of pretty much the M4. So... Simon, thanks so much for coming in, Thank and, you. and I'm, I'm sure it's been interesting for our listeners. It, it's a topic that fascinates me. There's so much change coming up. I, I keep saying I think it's an exciting time to be alive. Mm. I think we're going to see a lot of change to our behaviour and to the habits that we've spent 100 years kind of building, yes. and they're going to change very quickly, aren't they? Yeah, I hope we see a lot more Hydra EVC charges me coming too. over the coming years, and uh, thank you again for coming in. Thank you for inviting me. It's been a pleasure. There we are. Thank you, Simon. That was great. It was really interesting to get his little view of the world from his electric charging point of view.
So that's just some of the background uh, of what's happening in the industry and how maybe it will feed through to motorhoming, caravanning and, and camping. The great thing is uh, that people say that uh, motorhomes are at the back of the queue when it comes to EV. But there's a positive side to that, isn't there? Is that all the uh, research and development would have been done for other sectors such as delivery vans and heavy goods vehicles. And we're going to have our pick of the best technology when it rolls in, aren't we? We will. I'm not so sure we're at the back of the queue, but I think we're just a long way down the line. We're a niche within a niche. So if you take the delivery van sector, the commercial van, that's what our motorhomes are built on. And the niche within that niche is, of course, the motorhome itself so yeah we will have the benefit i think of 10 years development uh, research and development and technology advances and by the time it gets to building a motorhome i think we'll see new technologies that some of which we haven't even begun to imagine yet haven't dreamed of uh, so if you've got any questions on this and you want to ask us uh, you can hit the ask matt button how do they do that then yeah just go to the website motorhomemat.co.uk forward slash ask matt Hit the orange button, record your question. Please tell us where you are. And if you'd rather not record your question, you can submit it on a form. We love getting them, and it's great to be able to bring them into the podcast. We do try and answer all of them. If not in the podcast, then we try and respond directly to your email. You can also send us a message on Facebook, Instagram, and now TikTok too. TikTok too! (laughs) (laughs) It's like TikTok. <laughs> yeah, and go and check us out on YouTube as well. You'll find loads of content there. So uh, we'll repeat that uh, for asking the questions. We want to know who you are, uh, where you're from, and don't worry if you're Amanara, make a mistake. I'll edit all that out. You're going to sound fantastic. I mean, I do it for Matt. I can do it for you. <laughs> It's the Motorhome Matt podcast. I'm Keith Gooden. And I'm Motorhome Matt. My favourite part of the whole podcast brought to you with thatleisureshop.com. It's the audience Q&A. And Graham Hansen has got in contact, Matt, from Newcastle upon Tyne. Hello, guys. A question regarding when a van is not a motorhome. At what point does a van become a camper van? If I put a double mattress with a sleeping bag and a couple of pillows in the back, have a portable stove and a basic toilet facility and a cool box for food, does that class me as a motorhomer? If it doesn't, does that stop me from staying at paid campsites? Ah, mm. we, that's where we're getting to. Great show and podcast, he says. Thanks, Graham. It's a good question. So some campsites will require that you are a kind of an approved, built, traditionally built motorhome or camper van, uh, and they're not of a fan of, as you describe, a van with a mattress and a chimney in it. I don't know why. It's not traditional, I suppose. I guess there's a risk of fire or explosion from gas if it's not any sort of professional setup. But I would definitely check with the campsite you want to go to what their requirement is. Some campsites will be very prescriptive about the way you park. So they want your habitation door, the back door, pointing all the same way. So a European-built motorhome has the habitation door on the driver's side. So they would want you to drive nose in, whereas the UK-built ones will all be reversing in. It means the habitation doors are all opening out onto a wall of the neighbouring motorhome. So it's definitely worth checking with a campsite if you've built this van, whether you're going to be welcome. Uh, if it looks like a camper van, you've got graphics on the outside, and it looks like a leisure vehicle, I don't see why you would have a problem. There you are, Graham. I hope you uh, got something from that answer from Matt. He's the expert, remember. Uh, Richard Jones is from Bristol. Our solar system was dying, so I replaced the roof panel. But still thinking about when the sun is low and the motorhome is not in the perfect position. At the NEC this February, I bumped into motorhome Matt, who listened to my concern. Matt suggested 
and supply the solar panel in a suitcase. Armed with the new kit, went to the south of France for a month. I didn't use electric hookup once, and the new system worked a dream. To give it a big test, we used our air fryer, microwave and kettle at lunchtime midday. Recovery, astonishingly, was half an hour. Our 200 watt roof panel, best delivery was 185 watts at midday. When the sun was low and the motorhome not in the perfect position, 30 to 50 watts. If lucky, that's when the portable 100 watt panel came into its own. More freedom for us. It was amazing. Cheers, Matt. Cheers, Richard. Thanks very much uh, for your question. He's a fan of solar power. Well, do you know what comes with solar is a lot of maths. Have you noticed that? Mm. You're one of those people, aren't you, with an app on your phone, you've got solar panels on your roof. You're obsessed. Well, I'm not obsessed, but I've got I've got 16 solar panels and can generate 4K, which is, the most, is the most anybody in a private home can generate, 4,000 watts. And the last two months, we're recording this now in mid-June, so in the last two months we've been completely with the battery, self-sufficient in, in electricity, because obviously the days are longer and the nights are shorter, and so the sun comes up and starts powering the house and charging the battery before the battery has expired. Yeah. Saying that, in winter, it's different. We use a lot more electricity from the grid because there's less daylight around. But I am a big fan of solar power. It's, just, it's, it's amazing the amount uh, of energy that the sun provides, which you can tap into. So yeah. uh, Richard's a fan. I'm a fan too. Richard is a fan. And Richard's challenge was you know, moving a motor with a solar panel fixed on the roof. Is, is not always feasible to get the best, you know, a charge from the sun. So I said, well, what have you considered a portable solar panel? We sell them in the shop. And he bought one of our photonic ones. I've done a lot of research into this. I think these are brilliant. They're very efficient. They have an MPPT controller in them. I won't bore you with what that is, but it basically stores the electric and implements it into the battery when the, the sun is no longer shining on the panel put very simply and Richard loves it and he was getting more out of this 100 watt panel which is portable he could position it exactly in the right place meaning it was performing better than the big panel on his motorhome roof but what I love about solar when you start getting into this is you start realizing how much power you're consuming and that is a good thing my kids all do and they're the same with phone data as well they know exactly how much data they're using they know exactly how much power they're using and that has to be a good thing yeah, a laptop will consume 650 watts without even blinking. You put the electric kettle on, 2,000 watts is uh, yeah. suddenly being drawn. Yeah, it's for a short time, but that's what you're using. The dishwasher, 2,500 watts. Uh, tumble dryer, 2,500 to 3,500 watts. And you do, you do realise how much you're consuming and you actually unconsciously change the way you live. You change your behaviour, mm. which is, you know, we've been talking about this a lot, haven't we, uh, over these past few episodes. I mean, even making a cup of tea... Don't fill the kettle. You don't need to. If only one cup, just put enough in for, you know, one and a half cups. Some's going to evaporate when it boils. Put some water in it, enough for one cup. And these solar panels that you supply uh, to people, can you gang them up together to, to get a larger array? Or is it you just yeah, you could do, stuck yeah. with one? But I don't think you need to. I mean, as Richard said, his panel recharged the battery in half an hour. You know, one was enough in that scenario. OK, he was in Spain. Um, <laughs> he's slightly closer to the sun and it was out. So you might have a challenge here in, in, at home in Britain where, where it can be very cloudy. But right now, today, it's beautiful, clear blue sky. 
they would work a treat. Yeah, and it's photovoltaic, remember, so even if it's heavy cloud, it's still going to be generating, well, I generate 350 uh, watts from a 4K a array on the dullest days. Yeah. On yeah. a day like today, you know, where it's sunny, you know, I'm feeding back into the national grid. Yeah, you're selling it, yeah. 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 That, that's a whole new kind of me mentality, isn't it, to sell the electric back to the national grid. And we've been talking about EV charging. I thought about putting a charger on my drive. We don't have electric cars, but putting a charger on and, and maybe um, charging people to come along and, and plug in. The trouble is, is when it's a dull day, it's going to cost me money to do that. And I just want to tell people the charger's available when yeah, the, the weather is good. And, and there's no way for me to do that. So if you come across an app... There is an app. Is there? Yeah, there is. And there's a whole... There's a company doing exactly this, where they're asking you to sign up and tell them about your charger, and they will they will sell that space. Brilliant. Fantastic. I'll be on that one. Richard from Bristol, thanks so much. Now, how do people ask their questions again, Matt? You can go to our website, motorhomemat.co.uk forward slash askmat. Hit the orange button and record your question, and please tell us where you are. Or you can just complete the form and submit it to us, and we will do our best to answer the question either in the podcast or come back directly to you. You can also message us via Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok. And share with a friend as well. We would love you to do that, yeah. Would you help us grow the podcast audience and share it with someone who you think might enjoy it or appreciate some of the content? And if you're listening on Apple or Spotify, if you could leave us a five-star review, we would be ever so grateful and it helps spread the word of the podcast and does something to an algorithm. Thanks for listening to the Motorhome Matt podcast. Remember to check back here for more episodes full of hints and tips and helpful advice. We'll see you soon for another Motorhome Matt podcast brought to you with thatleisureshop.com. Motorhome Matt.